Go Mighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellbird, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. Page 10 of the DCC core book asks us to pledge with our right hand upon our little brown books that we shall uphold the honor of the hobby of role-playing to all comers, whether young or old. In this episode, we discuss what it means to uphold the honor of the hobby to all comers and whether or not that only applies to those of different ages. Should we make an effort to make our gaming table and the game itself more open and inclusive to those of all walks of life, regardless of age, disability, ethnicity, gender, race, religion, sexuality, etc.? Some of you listening may be saying, well, duh, of course. And some of you may be saying, oh, great, now Spellburn is going to get all preachy with their SJW nonsense. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, we hope you'll listen and join in on the conversation on social media afterwards. I'm Judge Jeff, and with me tonight is Judge Julian. Hi. And Judge Jen. Hey, guys. But before we dive into the topic at hand, let's head on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it a drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. All right, so here we are in the tavern. Um, I guess here we'll just chat about what we've been up to with gaming in the past few weeks, what our gaming plans are in the near future. Actually, how about Jen? Let's let's start with you. And uh, you want to you tell us what you've been up to? Of course. For gaming, we got back into Metamorphosis Alpha. That makes me very, very happy. And our first ed group is now dealing with Baba Yaga's hut. And that's very uh, disorienting. And for DCC, well, Jeff, you've talked a little bit about Brinkmanomicon. And I mentioned I was going to start doing a quarterly thing for those of us that were somewhat local. Um, So that was this past Saturday. We had a total of 17 people show up. And we had three slots of gaming all day. And there was... Geez, Bushido, a system that I don't remember the name of because I was nowhere near it, and uh, Dread, and a good couple of games of DCC. And I scored my first TPK with a whopping five minutes left to go in the game. So, <laughs> Very cool. But huge thanks to Job for writing uh, Grim Tina the way he did in Grimtooth's Museum of Death. It turned out to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so, Jen, were you a player in Bushido? Uh, no, I was actually running against it. Troy was running Bushido. Julian, have you ever played Bushido? Because I, I haven't. Yes. I, In fact, no, I have not played it. But uh, my friend Gary is a big, well, a moderate fan and has always threatened to run some for us. So eventually he's probably going to, uh, you know, have a one-off or something. Everyone had a, a really good time with it from what I could hear from the other table and, and they were still just gushing about being able to play it, you know, for the first time since it came out in the eighties. That's really cool. All right, Julian, how about you? Lately I've been playing my uh, Ravenloft uh, white box campaign. I've been running that. I've played a little bit of, we've, (laughs) we've, my old friend Gary is running an AD and D campaign and I, uh, 
I couldn't, we actually couldn't locate the character sheet for my arrogant, supercilious mage. So I had no choice but to make a chaotic fighter. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty, it got pretty, uh, so of course he died at the end of the adventure. I'll, I'm going to, I won't bore it with a long stories about, you know, gaming this weekend, but. I'm going to finish my Tavern Talk segment by saying he sacrificed himself to a mud god that may or may not have been there um, in his final act after he'd been poisoned by a scorpion in classic, you know, save or die poison fashion. So he threw him, he saw a well and he saw a lectern, assumed there was a god of earth elementals there and decided to slit his own throat and sacrifice himself. And uh, yeah. Wow. So that was fun. That is badass. So I am getting ready to do a Mutant Crawl Classics mini campaign with my DCC meetup group. One of the things that I was thinking about doing, uh, since it has six modules that are, that are being published through Goodman Games, and each module is for a different level, we've got a zero level module, and then one through five, I was thinking I could do a little mini campaign where we go through all six adventures, and at the end of each adventure, everybody levels up. So we're going to start that in a couple of weeks. And um, also, uh, Drinking and Dragons is coming up in February, and I'm trying to figure out if I can make it this time. I'm, I'm a little bummed that there's a chance I might not be able to, but I'm, I'm trying to work out my mojo and see what can happen. And yesterday, I was um, very much in kind of my spreadsheeting mode while I was trying to figure out what GaryCon events I wanted to attend, and I was like plugging in the names of judges and game systems and times and dates and juggling things around to figure out uh, what I can sign up for. So I'm excited for when gold registration begins because there are a couple of featured events I really want to get in on. Featured, huh? Yes. And speaking (laughs) of GaryCon registration, just to let everybody who's out there listening know, all three of us, Jen, Julian, and myself will be at GaryCon and we will all be running games. So if you want to if you want to come and meet any of us and say hi, like feel free to sign up for one of our games. Absolutely. All right. So let's head on over to some email and take a look at what's in the mailbag. I call upon the flame to summon you. Who delivered the message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. Here we are in summon email. We're starting to get a bit of a full bag here again, guys. Julian, do you want to reach in and grab the first one you can find? All right. Uh, let's see. This one feels like airmail. Okay. Looks like it's from <laughs> Judge Julio. Hello again, judges. As not all of us know you in person and might not be able to play with you so soon, I have some personal questions. Uh-oh. No, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Okay. Also, sorry if someone already asked any of these. It has been so long since the first episode that I can't remember. How do you feel about using props on your games in case you use or have already used which were the best? Uh, What are the non-RPG games that inspire you most? You know what? There's a lot of questions here. I think we should go through them one by one. Otherwise, this is going to be, you know, take forever. Yeah. So let's do it. I'm with you. So let's do them one by one, guys. Lightning round for each one of these. Okay. How do you f- how do you feel about using props on your games? In case you've used what is what were the best? I don't use props, Jen. Um, if I do, it's going to be small and something handheld that can pass around the table. I rarely use props. You know, maps, pictures, 
The last thing I did, which my buddy Todd Furler has done at Gen Con for years, is for my Ravenlock game, I actually dug up appropriate era pictures of the NPCs. I got like 18th century portraiture of different people to be like the people they were meeting in the in the mass ball, which I thought was kind of cool. But oh, neat. Um, but that's about as far as I've gone. All right. Uh, what are the non-RPG games that inspire you the most? I think Twilight Struggle, which is a two-person board game where one of you is the U.S. and the one the other of you is the USSR, and you play out the Cold <laughs> War, is a fantastically fun game, but I don't exactly think it inspires my RPG playing. Um, I know that there's a really fun game called Gloom, and Gloom is a card game where basically what happens is you've got a family of five members. Each, each player has a family of five members. And what you want to do is you want to have each member of your family die as miserable as possible. And that's how you win the game. And you play cards in other people's, on other people's family members to, to make them happy and, and other cards to make yourself miserable. And one thing that I think is really fun about that game is they, they suggest that you get into the storytelling component of it. So although it's not a role-playing game, it has a strong storytelling component. And I think that's a lot of fun. Hmm. Okay, my answers are really quick. Uh, Rat Snake and Mysterium. Very good. Uh, for myself, I will um, say I really don't even I don't play other non RPG games. Honestly, for the most part, I play Red Dragon Inn with Doug at cons, and uh, we were fortunate <laughs> well, to play. If that's not inspirational, come on. Well, that's pretty fun. <laughs> um, but the tables these days, the tables are like forty people, so it gets a little crazy. Um, we played Dogstorm at Game Hole Con, which was awesome. So yeah. that was really fun. Dogstorm's great. Um, the other thing I love, I don't know if it inspires me in terms of RPGs, but the wackiness of it does kind of is uh, Epic Spell Wars of the Battle Wizards, which is just an awesome card game that, um, in which it's basically a spell duel between everybody at the table. It's highly randomized. So there's not that much strategy. You know, you can build your whole strategy and then one card flipped by the other guy just totally messes up the whole table and flips everything around. So it's not very strategic, but it's a huge amount of fun. You can imbibe heavily while playing it, which is important. And um, the art on the cards is just awesome. All these really silly wizards and they're way over the top spells. Um, it's a blast. It's, it's gone. So it's somewhat in the spirit of DCC, I would say, but far more over the top than Mr. Curtis or Mr. Shro will take us for the most part. Okay, and that counters my super quick answers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Rapid fire. <laughs> All right. Okay, Judge Julio continues. What music that you as the band play during your games, what inspirational reading uh, and or creative moments? I don't listen to music while I read, but while I'm being creative, I do listen to music. When, I, when I'm playing games at, my, at the game stores, I obviously don't play music. But when I'm playing it at home, I do have a, a DCC music playlist that I enjoy playing. And it has a bunch of stuff like Blood Ceremony and Spiders and Holy Serpent and Electric Wizard and things like that. I like that playlist. Yeah. Jen? Um, playing during the games, I'm usually pretty boring and have no music because it just gets to be too much of a distraction especially if we're at the store. While reading and for creative stuff, honestly, I'm anywhere between Brain FM, which is like computer-generated white noise, classical, but at least lately. It used to be, you know, along the lines of Jeff's playlist there, but um, 
Now, lately, now I, I need some Mozart to kickstart stuff. I will say a lot of a lot of doomish metal, and um, especially during games, some sometimes sunny that you know they have a lot of very atmospheric sort of do, uh, gloomy ambi- ambient type stuff. Reading not as much and creative, pretty much a similar thing. Sometimes a little more melodic when I'm being creative. All right, we continue. What was the saddest character and or NPC death you've ever witnessed? Oh, there, there's always those moments where PC dies at the table and everyone's just like, ooh, damn, this sucks. Uh, but my my most wince-worthy NPC death in, uh, in Michael Curtis's The Making of the Ghost Ring, when we were playtesting it, there's a uh, foe in there, affectionately referred to as Har Stroh. And, uh, you know, a big leap to see who that's a reference to. Almost a dwarf with red hair, right? So when, uh, when somebody critted the, uh, the set of animals that Harstrow had to the point of inspiring one of those animals to then attack Harstrow himself and kill him, and this happened all in one critical move, uh, yeah, that, that was a bit of a blow. Wow. I'd say, actually, the first one that comes to mind is in uh, Mark uh, Woods Woodhouse. My friend Mark Woodhouse is running a Crips and Things campaign, and my buddy uh, Ryan Hickson has been running a thief. Miney's the thief. And we got him through about, I don't know, five or six sessions, and our party was doing great uh, exploring the Barrow Maze. And uh, he was killed ignominiously by undead, I believe, of course. And uh, I don't know. It was just a bummer. It was like, oh, dude, because that he was a great character. He's very useful, great team player, and just sucked um, for him to lose that character. So and start over first level and all that jazz. So um, sucks for the party too. Oh yeah, because he was he was <laughs> he was our, our archaeologist, and that's no small thing in the Barrow Maze. I'm thinking back to my 3.5 days before I ran Screaming from 4th Edition to the OSR. And there was a time where I was dungeon mastering 3rd Edition, and the characters were all fighting a succubus. And in 3rd Edition, the demons all have a percentile chance to summon other demons. And the succubus tried to summon some other demons and was successful. A whole bunch of rocks showed up and it ended up TPKing the party. And the reason why it's sad is not because it's sad that all the characters die. What was sad to me is what happened afterwards, because I remember when that happened, I felt like I had failed as a dungeon master because the characters died. And I was so (laughs) brainwashed by that style of gaming that I really did believe that if the characters died, it's the dungeon master's fault that I had given them an unfair encounter. I look back at that now and I'm like, man, if you're fighting a succubus and a whole bunch of rocks show up, those characters should run. There's, it's ridiculous to stay there. So <laughs> now I know better. I know that <laughs> if you die in a situation like that, it's because your character should have run. So I'm just sad for that poor dungeon master who didn't know to embrace it and say, players, that was your fault, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Truly. So that's my answer. 
Uh, great. Uh, here's one that I'll love. What was the most epic catchphrase you've heard during the game? Well, mine I think will have to be bleeped out, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to bleep it because I'm, I'm the editor and I don't want to deal with that. So I'll just say the letter F. But I know that at my first uh, DougCon, Joe Bittman kept saying, "I'm going to f it to death." <laughs> wow! Yep, that's a Job thing. <laughs> wow! So I'll, call, I'll say that's the most epic catchphrase. Yeah, that's Job pretty good. To f things to death, Jen. So there was a summer that uh, we relocated to Chicago so that uh, Bob could do the entertainment director thing, and a lot of his friends from high school invited us to join them for weekly gaming, and so we got to try out. Uh, Warhammer fantasy roleplay for the first time. And yeah, the blind man can't ride the donkey all night. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, you know, the, through one circumstance to another, we all got pretty jacked up and we were trying to escort this nice blind monk somewhere and it just became one of those uh less than pg rated things Mm, by by about you know 30 seconds in because deep down when we're all sitting at the gaming table we're 12 yeah oh I, i i get it i get it i have to go i have to myself go back to the uh secret society of monroe 407 my old college group there are a lot of catchphrases. There were a, a great deal of catchphrases that if you just speak them to these people, we will just bust out. Um, they were all screamed somewhere between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Um, <laughs> in the in an old English classroom uh, in the in the building on the college campus itself, where we used to game on the top floor of the English building. So um, anyway, Bedlam Havoc, who was my friend Carlos Brown's chaotic evil elven uh, magic user, as it was, Bedlam Havoc was was he was the evil uh, <laughs> magic user, and like Asmodeus had confronted him and was trying to seduce him to the uh, the dark side. The rest of the party was there, right around him. I, I uh, and I can still see Carlos, and you know. And Asmodeus is like, how about your soul? And and Bedlam is like, take it. And he's like, well, that's just one soul. How about the soul of your other party members? Uh, something like this. I can't remember if it's their lives or their souls or whatever. It was a long time ago. But Carlos, Carlos just, without a hesitation, with the light in his eyes, he just goes, have them! Have them! <laughs> <laughs> and so... So that always comes up at some point. Have them! Oh, really? Yeah, we trust you, Carlos. Have them! Have them! <laughs> nice. Uh, last question. What is your favorite color if purple was not a thing? I like brown furniture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have blue eyes, so when I wear blue shirts, my eyes look really pretty. Uh, <laughs> so far, I, I mean, know. we're two for two. Um, it's a good... <laughs> I like earth tones for, for my games, I guess. Um, I, I tend to have a lot of black in my games. I really like dungeons built out of, uh, shiny black rock. Uh, that's always a, a common trope in my gaming. So I think shiny black rock is kind of a big thing. So I'll say black for, for gaming. Jen, all the colors. Um, <laughs> Actually, for my DCC stuff, we had a, a running thing with 
either green or like deep red lighting going hmm. on. So some, you know, most of the magic was either purple or green or whatever, but I, yeah, for favorite color, I don't know. Um, anything but chartreuse. <laughs> Fair. Uh, green, green for me. All right. Judge Julio concludes. Keep up the good work. May we always hear more from you. Thanks and kind regards. Julio Manganaro uh, Silva. I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. Thank you, Julio, <laughs> for the uh, email. All right. Thank you, Julian. So it looks like we've got one more in the bag for us to read today. Jen, why don't you take this one? Mm, rummage, rummage, rummage. Okay. This one comes from Chantel. Hi, Jen and guys. Oh, hey, that works. Uh, first, did I hear one of you say that you are dating a man and that he plays with you? First off, that is cool. Second, I wish my wife was a gamer, but maybe it is good that I get my me time. I just had to share a story, and if you want, you can read it on the podcast. So I backed the DCC fourth printing book, and my book never came. I got really mad, like most of the people did, and it seemed no one was willing to answer back or what... Yeah, what to do to fix the problem. I was just about done with DCC and Goodman Games, but after talking with some other gamers, I just sent a PM on Facebook looking for an email so I could just email someone and say, hey, I never got my book. A day later, I got an email asking what happened, and then they couldn't fix it because the book I had ordered was shorted by the printer, but they had two that I could choose from. After I chose my fan kit, I got another email saying they were really sorry that this happened and they wanted to offer me $40 at RPG Now. I feel this really made up for what happened and wanted to share. Thanks, Chantel. Very cool. All right. That, that's kind of cool. They yeah. take care of us, right? Sure. So the question there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Chantel, it's true. Uh, Jen is married to a man. <laughs> oh wait is that not what she's referring to <laughs> might have been referring to you okay yes it is true uh jen's married to a man uh i am dating a man and uh julian is not <laughs> <laughs> but i remain a man i think this is a really great example about what we're going to be talking about here in a moment is you know i am gay and chantelle uh, when she heard that was excited about that and and it was exciting for her to hear somebody who's also like her on a podcast talking about gaming. And when people see and hear people like them in their industry, it makes them feel more comfortable to kind of step in and be a part, uh, a, a part, become more of a part of the hobby that they're already interested in. So yes, he does play DCC with me right now. He's a bit of a hard convert because he's very much into the kind of pathfinder and kind of more fifth edition style of gaming. He really likes to spend lots of time building up kind of a power character and doesn't really like the high fatality of DCC. I, I plan on slowly corrupting him over time and bringing him to my ways. Uh, <laughs> and I have got him to play and he has had fun, but he's not a total convert yet. But give me time, Chantel. Give me time. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if you would like to send us an email, you can go ahead and uh, contact us by emailing theband at spellburn.com. Now let's head on over to Mighty Deeds, where we can get into the meat of our topic. Let the combat begin! To the death! Why behold our hero? Huh. So you want to play rough, eh? Let's take this! Mighty Deeds. 
Well, here we are in Mighty Deeds. And first, we would like to take a moment to thank Jarrett Crater, former Spellburn co-host. This is a topic that he had been suggesting that we do, uh, and we are finally getting around to it. So, Jarrett, thank you for uh, keeping this on our radar. We really appreciate that. So, guys, when we talk about inclusivity and diversity in gaming, like, what does that even mean to you guys? Are we talking, like, personalities or the difference between homebrew rules and rules as written? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you get kind of a a bit of a schism there, you know, just with that latter part. Inclusivity and diversity in gaming, to me, is summed up by saying, hey, there's an open table, come play. Mm -hmm. I I don't care what you look like, what you sound like. I, I don't care if you have two legs and can walk there or you're transported to the table by some other means. If you can sit down and cooperatively tell a story, I mean, we have a player that has to use a die roller on his phone Mm -hmm. because picking up dice is very difficult. Mm -hmm. So he enjoys telling the story with us. And that's what matters. Uh, You know, it obviously, you know, when we talk about diversity, um, it includes, you know, people of color and uh, orientations and genders and so on, and kind of the obvious stuff we think about. But, uh, you know, I I also want to th- think about more, sometimes more subtle stuff as well. It's easy to sit at the table and crack jokes about politics or, you know, I don't know, randomly Mormons or, you know, mm-hmm. some craziness, whatever. And uh, you just, you don't want to exclude you don't want to exclude people. Um, yeah. It, it's more than just the obvious stuff. Stuff that, you know, it's about putting on your filter a little more and maybe really trying to create a welcoming environment from for everybody. Maybe somebody's going to make jokes about tree huggers and vegetarians and animal rights people and stuff. But, you know, you might have those guys at your table or you might have some you know, religious folks that other people think are wing nuts or that somebody makes a casual joke about because he's not ever used to being in a table with a person of that religion. Mm-hmm. But so it's not, it's not always the obvious stuff. And, uh, you know, I think at conventions, especially you want to, um, you want to really try to, uh, be welcoming and inclusive. When, when I was young and we, you know, we were first playing D and I don't know about you guys, but we were very conscious of, we were the nerds and the losers, right? So people wanted to play D&D when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever. They were welcome, right? Because we were the already the nerds and the losers. We weren't excluding people, right? So I tried to bring that ethos, you know, into the adult life as well. And hopefully, you know, we run our con games like that. I think that's great. You know, I, I think... You touched on a really great subject with the with the idea of, especially in a public gaming situation like a con game, really going the extra step to make sure that people feel welcome at the table. And when I was at North Texas RPG Con, I thought there was a really great example. I was playing uh, Bunnies and Burrows with Dennis Sestere, and I don't want to call anybody out, but one of the players is blind. And uh, Dennis, uh, the, the who was the game mastering and is actually, is actually the creator of Bunnies and Burrows, did know that this player was coming beforehand and he had stitched this beautiful map that uh, that you can that that this player could explore with touch 
So it oh, had wow. different um, different textures for different parts of the terrain that we would be going over, and little buttons where there were obstacles, and there would be like a little a little string of like Velcro where there was like this little river that you could uh, move your hand across. And oh, that's phenomenal! Yeah, it was a really just beautiful thing that he did. Just very generous, and it's it's one of those things where it's like you know that that meant a lot to that player. And I know that kind of from my own experience, especially when I was a younger person, I didn't always know that the people who I would be gaming with were going to be okay with my deal. And I remember feeling very kind of self-conscious about that, especially when I was young and being like, what if I want to play a female character? Should I not? Because that'll make them uncomfortable. And like, I, I, I would get so in my head around it. And then people would like crack an uncomfortable joke about something, not knowing what's going on. And... You know, it just in those kinds of situations, it makes it so that like I stopped playing with a lot of people just because I didn't really feel comfortable. And because I am somebody who I feel like has who I'm able to take my own life experiences and put them onto other people, I can imagine that there are other people out there who would like to game, but are kind of afraid of showing up and being rejected either overtly or in very kind of subtle ways throughout the the course of the the game. I think it's really important for us to do what we can to make everybody feel welcome. So specifically with Dungeon Crawl Classic, do you feel like, how is DCC different or how is it the same from kind of the overall RPG world in terms of our struggles or successes with being inclusive and welcoming diversity? So the first thing that um, pops into my head is Doug's artwork, because I think Doug is uh, really, I don't, you know, it's Doug, so you never know exactly how conscious he is or subconscious he is about his his work. But, um, it, you know, he I, I think it's kind of obvious he puts a pretty different color palette uh, of people in his in the band. You know, he has African-American yeah. people. Uh, in the band and some other shades as well as kind of Hugh being the white guy. But, you know, it's always been kind of a diverse representation, I think, as well. I mean, as well as having the the road crew, the little poster that he had for the road crew that was an African-American woman. That would be Shanna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. According to Doug, her name is Shana, but you and I call her Shanna. Shanna Dahaka. He he calls her Shanna, but spells it with one N. Oh, he pronounces it Shanna, but spells it... Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think that's why there was that disconnect and the dice are labeled with two Ns. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was a tangent, Julian. Please continue. <laughs> I will say, I think Doug's art, um, specifically his art, really aims for that. And I, I think, I don't know, I, I don't think Doug sits down and thinks about it every time he picks up a pen or a, a paintbrush or whatever. I think that's just kind of more of what he sees in the world. And it goes through a DCC sensibility and then it goes onto his drawing pad or his easel or whatever. I'm not sure how deliberate he is with that, but, and I don't know if he and Goodman talk about it. Well, you know, try to, you know, try to keep it diverse. We're trying to market to everyone. We want everyone to buy the game. You know, I mean, Joe's a smart marketer, you know, I'm sure he, he thinks of stuff too, but that's my answer is that Doug, uh, I think Doug's art really strives for that or, or without striving hits that anyway. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think Doug is very on point with that stuff. And I would say with Dungeon Crawl Classics, it is an OSR game. And the OSR games do come from an older era of gaming where representation really wasn't so great. A lot of the artwork was really misogynistic. There were hardly any, there's hardly any representations of people of color uh, kind of historically in our gaming roots. And because the OSR kind of springs out of that, there does tend to be less diversity in the artwork in a lot of OSR games than there would be, say, if you open up a Pathfinder book or look at something like Eclipse Phase or Numenera or Seven Seas, you see a lot of diversity in games like that. But when you open up other kind of OSR games, you don't see that as often. And I think Doug is a really good example of somebody who, without being heavy-handed about it, is just very naturally trying to include everybody. I think that could go along with um, DCC being based on the Appendix N feel. And you'll notice that the Appendix N attitudes toward what were minorities, everything other than a white man, uh, in most of the Appendix N literature, you'll see that the adventures put forth in DCC do not carry forth that view either. I would agree with that. But I would say that as much as I love DCC, I would also say that DCC hasn't always been super successful with that too. Yeah. So I've got a tweet here from somebody who is, uh, okay, the, the Twitter handle is at your king mob. And they said, I'm really liking the rule set and feel of Dungeon Crawl Classics, but I could do without all of the petty misogynist humor. And this person had a screen mm-hmm. cap of uh, something that's on page 380 of the core book. And here you've got two dudes who are sitting in front of an adventurer's wanted sign. And they say, for a half-orc, she sure has a lot of charisma. And then there's this half-orc standing there with giant breasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that that's God. That that's almost a product of its time, right? Almost. You could almost excuse it. Except that it's this it's 2012. Right. This is this it's an OSR game, but this this artwork is new, the writing is new. So I can see why some people do take issue with certain things and people many people know that I that I have a specific issue with the <laughs> uh cover of uh, Dragora's Dungeon, I think the Clyde Cald- Caldwell art is just kind of misogynist and really kind of demeaning and just turns this this woman into a sexual object. And my thing is that I'm not necessarily offended by it. I'm embarrassed by it. My concern with covers like that and little, you know, for half work, she sure has a lot of charisma. Those Those little things, I'm just embarrassed because I love this game so much and I want women to feel safe to come to the table and not feel like the guys are going to treat her like a sex object or make a bunch of sex jokes or boob jokes or or, right. or see the judge is running a module where there's this woman standing there so scantily clad that you can see her Brazilian. Yeah. Whereas most covers of modules, if I pull them out and show random people walking into the game store, hey, this is what I'm running usually they they have to come a little closer. They're a little confused about what they're seeing and they're intrigued. Okay, I, I, I want to know more. This particular cover, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they I could totally see somebody new to the table, regardless of their age, sex, gender, et cetera. I, I, I could totally see them being pushed away. 
Yeah. And and yes, I said sex and gender. Uh, one of my normal people, it. Okay, that came out wrong. <laughs> one of my uh, <laughs> regular players uh, in the campaign uh, before they moved was asexual. And while female preferred the pronoun they, as opposed to he or she. Mm-hmm. And even that with with a couple of the other players at the table, even that was a bit of an obstacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you touched on politics and religion earlier. Uh, we actually ended up getting in a screaming match with somebody because he made some ignorant remark about Muslims and the Quran. And uh, needless to say, he was not welcome at the table anymore. Yeah. Especially when you're in a public place. I, I ban politics at my table. Whether it's the beginning, we're all sitting down, getting comfortable with each other, or we're in the middle of play. Current issues and politics are not an option for table banter. Mm-hmm. And not only is it going to piss somebody off, it's going to derail us and we only have X amount of time. Well, and speaking of pissing people off, it seems like whenever people (laughs) talk about diversity and inclusion, there is a whole group of people who get really angry and get really upset that they're being forced to listen to this or that they're being preached at. And on some level, I can empathize with that on some level because, and, and perhaps I'm wrong here and I don't want to try to think for other people, but I can see why perhaps somebody who is a straight white male who has been playing Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy gaming and now plays Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, and has been doing things like this for most or all of their life, how when somebody says, you know, you should make this space more open and safe for black people and gays and lesbians and transgender people and people of different religions or whatever, that I feel like some people personalize that and they hear, I'm a straight white male and I'm not welcome here. And I'm a straight white male, and that means that I'm bad, and I should feel guilty for being a straight white male, and I should feel guilty for playing with other straight white males, and I don't want to feel that way, so don't tell me how to live my life. And I don't know. I feel like that's not what anybody's saying. I don't think anybody's saying we should have fewer straight white males that we're playing with. I think we're all just saying we should all do our best to make everybody who wants to play feel safe and feel comfortable to sit down at our table and join in. I think their initial reaction is defensive Mm -hmm. because you're telling them that they aren't already including these people. And so therefore they're doing something wrong already. And rather than express it that way, they twist it to, oh, well, I'm not welcome then. Mm -hmm. So, but that is my perspective as a married woman in the hobby for the past two decades. Yeah. And I have been married for that entire time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. God, I'm old. Um, But I see these younger people coming in and especially the girls coming. They're trying to come in because it's a hobby that their boyfriend likes. Dude, I was there. I totally get that trepidation. And the last thing you want is for the person running the game to be describing a scene where your character is being seduced by an incubus. This is just not the way things should be done on a regular basis here. Yeah. So I, I'm a huge, huge fan of things like the, the X card or, you know, the black note card. Yeah. Explain, explain that to people who aren't familiar with that concept. I, a lot of GMs 
have a tendency to push the envelope and try to make you feel uncomfortable, whether or not that's, you know, part of your intent when you sit down, but you always have the option of pushing a note card in with an X on it or a colored note card or something and just saying, I'm not comfortable with this. We're going to fade to black on this scene and we're going to move on. If you are sitting at a table that you're not comfortable in, you don't have to just storm off right away. You can just calmly ask the GM to move on. Yeah. And if they're worth their salt, they'll nod and move on. If we're doing stuff that is really at all pushing the envelope, and I'm thinking again of my friend Todd Furler, who runs like Unknown Armies games at Gen Con, and he, some of the, he does stuff on really sensitive topics sometimes. Um, and, and, and he's also running horror games. So even when they're not about mm-hmm. something super sensitive, they still have blood and, you know, violence and stuff like that. And he's, and he'll set it up at the beginning. He has a whole opening spiel that he has just down pat. Part of his spiel is like the restrooms are out the door and on the left. And, you know, here's my card <laughs> and da, da, da. And I admire him greatly. He's one of the best GMs of all time that I've ever had, if not the best. Uh, So I've copied Spiel from him a little bit. But anyway, but he is very careful to do his stuff up front, which I which I like that approach better. And he's, of course, very meticulous in letting people know what, you know, what we're going to do in this. You know, there's going to be some violence. It may have some sexual themes. There may be some you know, non-consensual, blah, blah, blah. And, and not that this stuff is happening with the characters per se, but that that it might involve crimes of sexual violence as part of the horror in the story or something, you know. So it's like the TVMA label. Well, it's a little more, I think he's a lot more thoughtful than that. And he, he'll, he'll talk in more detail, more sensitively than just putting a label, a warning label on it. But my point is that he does it up front, I, I would like to rather do it than that than to disrupt the flow of the game, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jen, if you were to That's fair. if you were to do it in a con, I, you don't need a card. If we're playing a game and Jen, you're uncomfortable, you can say, "I don't really, you know, I don't like where this is going. Can we not do this?" I it's hard right, for me. But to, not all people are going to be comfortable enough to say that. Well, I, I so I, I'm, I I'm get putting it. it out there for other people. No, I, I get it. Sure, it, it's a tool. And the X card's not going to be for everybody. That's it's for a, sure. It's a tool in the toolbox, and if it works for your group, you know, awesome. You know, I I don't I'm not against anybody ever using it, but you know, when you're playing at the store and you're playing with cons and stuff, for God's sake, GMs and judges. Don't you shouldn't be inspiring people to throw X cards, right? I mean, I agree. I think a lot of it's going to be based on kind of the social contract of who you're playing with, what the content is. You know, if you're getting together with a bunch of friends and you and your friends all know that you guys are about to play a really racy game, then obviously an X card doesn't make any sense. And maybe play it in a more obscured area as opposed to the middle of a game store. Don't even do that at the game store. I mean, I, I, I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, we've been in the same store as the Pathfinder group that was talking about raping certain celebrities and whatnot and chased two women away out of their group because wow. that's all they would talk about. Yeah. Uh, but we seem to have kind of gotten off onto the, you know, alienating women topic. If I could hop back into the diversity and, and inclusivity Jeff, I wish I I could go play at your table. I would love to play in 
a metropolis that is not just closed off socially is that the most pc way to say this um okay we, yeah. we, we don't we don't get a whole lot of um other in, in in any context yeah and because i play in brooklyn you know on one hand it is fantasy role playing and it is osr based so because of that it still gets very much a straight white male base there. But in addition to that, we do get lots of younger people who come and they tend to be the ones who aren't necessarily straight white men. And we get, you know, gays and people of color and we have like a regular trans player. You know, it's we, we, we get lots of different kinds of people who come in and play, especially from the younger generations. But I think one thing that I would like to see DCC do more of is I think Doug's art is great. Doug does a really great job of inclusivity and for the most part, I don't, I don't have too many examples of where I think the, it, it could use some extra work. But one thing that I, I haven't really see, seen DCC or Goodman Games really do is I'm not really seeing diversity in content creators. Everybody who I'm aware of who writes and does the art are all straight white men. And I think an important thing for the future of our gaming is to also make space for content creators who aren't just more of that. That's a, a fine line, though, and you have to be really careful because that's like saying, well, I want something that is based on, say, the, the African-American soul and sorcery, which are some phenomenal books. But does that mean I have to find an African-American writer to do that? And the answer to a lot of people for that would be, yes, you have to get somebody of the same ethnic background so that you have one person writing for those other people. Otherwise, you've got the straight white man being their voice, and that can alienate people too. And so it, it's a very fine line. It can be a very fine line with a lot of these issues. All, yeah. all I'm saying is right now we have zero we have zero people of color writing for Dungeon Call Classics that I'm aware of. We have zero gay people writing. At least for Goodman Games. That, that I'm aware of. That I'm aware yeah. of. Zero women. And what I would like to see is maybe experimenting with one <laughs> and then <laughs> seeing what happens after that. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's important to make room for, for other kinds of voices. Once you make space for other kinds of voices... It will change the game itself and make it the kind of game that inherently is more welcoming to more people. Uh, I will put it out there that I know we have different ethnicities writing for zines. and uh, hey, So we women. already have a talent pool to pull from. Hey, uh, women too. Yep, Psst. exactly. Psst. <laughs> uh, writing for zine. Uh <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, and I'm not saying that I want to see the really great, talented white men that we've got writing now writing any less. I just would like to see us make space for more people. And I, and I know that that really upsets some people because they see that as like now we're discriminating against white men. You know, now we're saying. Oh, no, no. I, I, I think now that the since the fan base has grown so much, we need to put out additional content so we could support additional authors. I so agree. So I'm there with you on that. Absolutely. Julian, do you have thoughts on this or as our token straight white man? <laughs> yes. I, well, you know, I agree 100% with the spirit, Jeff. The I think as a practical matter, 
you know, if we're talking about writing for Goodman, right? Um, which I've been fortunate enough to just get a one or you know really one thing so far. I uh, get my foot in the door and do one thing, which I'll be running later this month. Woo-hoo! So I want to <laughs> I want to hear how it went. But the thing about it is, as a practical matter, let's just talk about as a practical matter. You know, you have to swear your soul to the dark master. You know, and I mean that that's my <laughs> flippant way of saying. Um, you have to go to him and he's got a lot of people who want to write for him and you have to realize you're going to probably get whatever you get. And then, you know, so I mean, and then you probably need some kind of track record and then you want to get whatever you get. You know what I'm saying? So it's not simply he's running a business uh, and mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, he's juggling a thousand things and he's got a billion things going on. And I'm sure if all things were equal, he would probably like to diversify in several different ways because he's a smart guy and I'm sure that he knows marketing and I'm sure that he would like to broaden his horizons and be as inclusive as possible. But I, but you know, I think it, these things butt up against the, Hey, I need to, I need to get this thing done. I need to get this thing done. I'm looking down at the pool of guys who I know will do stuff and get it done on time. Um, or, or maybe who I hope will get it done on time. And, you know, right. and he's just, he's just, he's running a business. So he's got to be very practical and, you know, that's all industries are like that. And I'm not making excuses. Those folks also have to approach him and being will, you know, pay the dues and do all that stuff. And maybe they have, uh, you know, cause I don't know one way or the other, have they have, have people, you know, of color done that or not done that or whatever. I have absolutely no idea. I don't want to tokenize anybody and start making a list of people who I think would be great candidates, but, you know, Jen did make a great point that in our zine community, there are a lot of people who are, who are coming from much more diverse backgrounds. And I think there's a really great pool to draw from. I think it's a great suggestion. And I think it would, I think if I were Joseph, I might, I might highlight it. I might, you know, maybe we'll do something like that in the annual. We'll have a showcase and show people how broad our, our talent and our interest is, you know. Uh, do it in the annual or the Gen Con program or whatever, you know, or do a, an anthology piece like that or something. I don't know. I mean, of course, as well as you can just hire people to write your stuff, but or draw your stuff for that matter. So, uh, you know, I, I don't object to anything you say. I just I, I know that capitalism is capitalism. I mean, and having said that, I mean, Joseph obviously doing this stuff because he loves it, not because it's the th- way that he thinks he can get richest in the world, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but he, he has a day job. Yeah. And, you know, if he wanted to spend an extra 30 hours a week doing something, this is probably not the biggest bang he could get for his buck. But <laughs> he still has to make money and keep the business afloat and guard the brand and do all that stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I think – Part of the part of what you're saying, Jeff, I'm totally sympathetic. But I think what happens in the business world is people go with whom they know because they're reliable and they've got it done before. That's the bit tends to be the biggest predictor of future success. So it's hard to crack that that uh, stable of talent, right? I agree with that. But also in the past year, we have seen a couple of modules written by people who have not formerly published with good. Oh yeah. No, this is a great time to, to get in there and try to, you know, get, get a foot in. So uh, by all means, if you're listening, this is a, because there's all kinds of stuff moving around. And also I want to make it clear that I'm also, I don't want to just put the pressure on Goodman here because that's not what I'm trying to do. I really feel like a lot of the third party publishers too, I, I think, I think it's, 
it's kind of an issue that's kind of going all around right now. And I would hope that people listening to this might walk away from this episode with the belief that the more diverse your content creators are, the more diverse your message is going to be, and the more and more people we're going to draw in, and the bigger and bigger our hobby is going to get. Absolutely. That's that we all have to adopt the the long view, right? We we love gaming and we don't we're most many of us, I don't know if most of us. I mean there's an ageist thing here too a little bit, right? Cuz many OSR people tend to be in their kind of my age bracket of mid to late 40s-ish, some 5 years older, some 5 years younger, you know, but in that kind of bracket. Yeah, I'm a baby at 37. Well, yeah, you're you're almost of the next generation maybe, but and and I think Jeff's some of this stuff gets solved as you go younger because there's just more diversity demographically in the country as you go younger, you know. So some of that is actually sort of solves itself demographically as you go down the dice chain of the age of the ages. Um, <laughs> well said. But, but having said that, I mean, not to make excuses, but at least I think that actually helps things in the long run. And getting more women running games, that has been a huge boon for the hobby as a whole. Because you yes. see, okay, some dude named, named Julian's running a game, whatever. Wait, there's this chick named Valerie. Uh, wait, wait, um... Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um that that's a different pool of influence. I'm going to go play at Valerie's table. And I've noticed maybe it's because people aren't sure yet. I, I have a Norwegian friend named Jen who is a straight white male. So <laughs> uh Jen is kind of ambivalent, I guess. Uh on unless you know me or see the bio or something. Uh but yeah, I seem to end up with some pretty diverse crowds at conventions, and I'm starting to wonder if it isn't because I'm not the typical grognard. And it really is special, those moments where you see somebody who gets really excited about being represented in some way. Because I know for one, you know, I was born in 1980, and I am about the same age as Macaulay Culkin was in Home Alone. And I'm about the same age as Bart Simpson was in the first season of The Simpsons. And <laughs> I remember seeing Macaulay Culkin and seeing Bart Simpson. And I am I'm a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I remember seeing this kid who's got like blonde hair and blue eyes, who's about my age in Home Alone and another one in The Simpsons, and like instantly connecting with them and feeling this like deep kinship with them. And I know that you can relate to people who aren't of your color and or whatever. But I do think that when you see people who look like you in the things that you do, it really resonates and it, it and it makes you feel included. And I remember at Gen Con this year, this black woman came up to the Goodman Games booth because she had seen an image of Shanna and really wanted like a t-shirt with Shanna on it or something. And there actually is a t-shirt with Shanna on it, the Goodman Games Road Crew t-shirt, but we weren't selling that at Gen Con. And she was like, was like so excited about finding something with that woman's face on it. But we, d- we didn't have anything to sell at the moment, which is funny because there's usually so much Shanna stuff. Yeah. But just seeing her enthusiasm for seeing Shanna represented in our game was, it, it just, it made me feel really good. And she's like, man, Doug, it's, it's so great what Doug does because what he, what he did for that woman to make her feel like she was a part of this really, mm-hmm. it's, it's really special. 
Absolutely. And I think, and I think as a hobby and, and the specific corner of a hobby, we can do even more of that. No, I mean, that's well said. Should we wrap up on that note or is there anything else that you guys would like to add before we close up? I think that's beautiful. Perfect. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you are completely outraged and you want to let us know, then uh, please do so respectfully. If you, uh, <laughs> cause actually I'll, I will go on a quick side tangent. When I originally posted my, my issues with the Clyde Caldwell cover for Dragora's Dungeon, which by the way, is this really fantastic Harley Stroh adventure. And I, I want anybody who's listened to this episode to know that like, the adventure itself is great. But when I originally posted my, my feelings about bringing this adventure with me to a, to a public gaming group and just kind of the embarrassment I had holding the module, there were some people who did not like my opinion on this and who got really, really nasty about it. And like one thing that was interesting is on the G plus page, it was actually very civil and we were having a really great conversation and like Harley Stroh and Doug Kovacs were kind of all, we're all chatting about it. But on the Facebook page, it got really nasty. Jonathan Perkle, who moderates the Facebook group, he actually had to put a lock on the post and turn, uh, turn commenting off because people were getting so nasty and one person ended up like finding my Facebook profile and like sending me a private message calling me a hypocrite because I had a picture of me with a busty cosplayer at Gen Con as though <laughs> my issue was with breasts. I have no problem with the fact that women have breasts. But anyways, uh, but all I'm saying is if you guys do disagree, that's fantastic. Let's have a conversation about it, but keep keep it respectful. We don't need to go after individuals or insult them. We can, we can talk about this like adults without being nasty and disrespectful. And there are places other than Facebook to do this. And lastly, I think you're already doing this, Jeff, but part of being tolerant and inclusive means listening to people who disagree with us right now. Right. Thank you. As long as yes. you're, as long as you're not like being a crazy racist or trying to get violent, et cetera, et cetera, you know, making the, the threshold being like, are you making other people feel unsafe, right? Or unwelcome mm -hmm. yourself right now. But if we can have a reasonable discussion about it, I mean, by all means, right? I mean, everybody should be welcome. Please don't, you know, mess up anybody else's welcomeness. That's a great point. Everybody yeah. is welcome and everybody is welcome at the table. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes down to it, it's all based on how crappy your dice are. <laughs> well said. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. Until next time. We will see you later. Game on. You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.